0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen. And with me today, one of my favorite podcasts of the year, the uh, uh, hopefully now an annual tradition, the annual Josh Newman Podcast, where I get uh, my friend Josh Newman, uh, you know, a well-seasoned uh, beat reporter now working for the Salt Lake Tribune for the University of Utah, to jump on and talk about various topics that Josh Newman is interested in. Uh, So there will be some Jets talk today. We'll probably hit on Zach Wilson. Um, We'll talk about New York. We'll probably touch on the Sopranos. Other than that, (laughs) I have no plans. Uh, Just wanted to fire this podcast up because it's always a lot of fun. How are you doing, Josh?
1: I'm doing well, Eric. I appreciate you having me as always. I've been... uh been looking forward to this for the last few days this will be a lot of fun
0: yes indeed well uh you sent out i guess i want to get the boring stuff out of the way first you sent out a tweet about realignment and potentially maybe going to big 12 media day earlier today so where are we at with college football alignment? What what are the sparrows telling you these days? Are we pretty much kind of in a holding pattern? Because it fe- it feels to me like we're kind of in a holding pattern right now.
1: Yeah, that's that's a pretty astute observation. I, I would I would call right now a holding pattern, and that's because you know the Pac-12 is now in the middle of this 30-day negotiation window. You know, with the networks trying to figure out the media rights deal. You know, they were not going to the to the table for another like several months. But then the Big Ten came in and poached USC and UCLA and and things were kind of in flux for the league. So now, you know, the Pac-12 is in a position where they need to see what their value is. So they're going to the table early now in the middle of this 30 day window to see what their value is. And yeah, we're in a little bit of a holding pattern. We're in a little bit of a lull and we're going to be in a little bit of a lull until this 30-day window ends and the league can really get a better grasp on some of the data and some of the numbers and try to really, uh, wriggly, try to really feel out what the value of the conference is. So as we sit here right now on, on, on July 11th, the 10 remaining Pac-12 members uh, are tethered together, are working in sync, are working in, in lockstep so the league can see exactly what its value is. And then after we see what the value is, then maybe you you might have some more movement but i i feel like this wall may may go beyond this 30-day period but it's going to go at least through this 30-day period
0: yeah and it's just interesting to me to think about where we'll be in 30 days like about 30 days from now that's about what august 10th august 11th something yeah right like in that. There. yep um that's camp so yeah, uh, You just look at the way things played out last year. Nothing happened when the season actually started. Everything really seemed to slow down. So I wonder if maybe at this point you're, you're just, you know, you're waiting for next June at this point.
1: You know, I mean, right before I came on with you, I, I read a report from, uh, I forget what national outlet, but they, they were reporting that uh, the SEC presidents are, are comfortable where they are and they are not looking to – expand any further and that's a big deal because if, if the sec is standing pat there's really not a whole lot of reasons for the big 10 or there weren't a lot of reasons for the big 10 to expand again anyway but now you have the sec today monday july 11th saying that they have no intention of expanding further so you really might see like nothing happening like if the sec isn't going to expand and if Notre Dame does not wake up tomorrow and decide that they want to be a member of the Big Ten, the Big Ten it really doesn't feel like they're going to expand either. So then you're looking at well, what are we doing? The SEC is stopping, the Big Ten is stopping. You've got this situation where the Pac-12 is trying to see what its value is. Uh, the Big 12, you know, they want to be the aggressor, but if the Pac-12 doesn't want to reciprocate the Big 12's aggression and you know have you know Utah, Colorado, Arizona State. Arizona. Yeah. Arizona. If those schools don't want to leave for the, for the big 12, then what are we really doing here? So uh, things are starting to quiet down and yeah, you're right. Camp is coming up. I believe Utah opens camp on August 5th. Um, They have this gigantic opener September 3rd at Florida, which is going to dictate, you know, the road that this season kind of takes. So I think no matter what happens here, whether you see no more expansion, some more expansion, some movements at some point, things are going to quiet down fully and things are going to start refocusing on the season that's coming up and the players. Now the coaches, now none of the realignment stuff has any bearing on what this season is or, or, or will be, or, or could be. I I think that's a, I think at least from a Utah perspective, I think that's getting a, a little bit lost here that Utah has this, you know, they're, you know, reigning PAC 12 champ coming off a Rose bowl, you return the quarterback and the running back and the tight ends. They're going to open rank in the top 8, 10, 12. You've got this gigantic opener Florida. Those things, the things that are coming up here in short order, those things have kind of gotten lost a little bit. And just from my perspective as a beat writer, I am looking forward to getting back to what's happening now and, and, and gearing up to cover this football
0: season. Yeah, it just seems like everybody has – and I'm not saying this is- – um analysis is wrong but everyone has kind of come out and said oh well we're heading towards two super conferences and things breaking down to the point where the big 12 might get rated some more the Pac 12 it just seems like the timelines for that are are a little bit off like i think eventually that'll happen but it, it feels like for something like that to really happen for the ncaa to totally collapse. It's going to take at least another two or three years, probably.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we're, that's another astute point by you. I, I think we're, I think we're years away from, from what you're talking about, like a true, like power to, so to speak, big 10 sec. And then whatever number three winds up being, whether that's the big 12 or some sort of big 12 pack 12 or Pac 12 ACC merger. I think what we're looking at here is, and again, these things are fluid, things change, opinions change. Um, I think what we're looking at here is you're going to see this next round of TV deals, right? The Big Ten is still in talks, in negotiations. We just talked about the 30-day window. I think you're going to see this round of of TV deals and then the next round in five years or seven years. You're talking about the year 2028, 2030, the next round of TV deals. I think that's where you might start to see some finality and start to see a true power two or, or, or power three kind of, kind of take control of things. And yeah, maybe at some point the NCAA does go away, at least in terms of its governance of, uh, uh, of college football.
0: Yeah. And I mean, also you got to think like the playoff that's up for renew. I know they decided not to renew, but the playoff that's up for renewal. in what, like two years about, Um, Uh, I think
1: we're uh, 2026, I think. And yeah, that's another, that's another thing, right? We don't have any clarity on what the playoff is going to look like. That is a largely TV media rights driven kind of thing. And yeah, if it's a, you know, I think we're all under the assumption that it's going to be eight teams, 12 teams. What is college football like if we get to, if we get to a 12 team event, there's just, the thing that people have to remember is this has been going on now for about 10 or 12 days nobody really knows anything, okay? This is like a presidential chancellor level, you know, thing that's happening here. The athletic directors have a voice in in the room, of course, but they're not making the ultimate decisions. The coaches don't know anything. There are so many variables. There are so many questions. There are so many what ifs. And I understand that people, you know, fans especially want answers now, now, now. People are nervous. People don't know what's going on. My advice Not that anyone's going to take it, but my advice is to settle in because I think we're a long way, a long way away from really getting like the ultimate final answers. It's going to be a long time before we get some, I think.
0: Yeah. I think you're right. I, I feel like it's going to take a little while for this all to shake out. But now that we got that out of the way, just very briefly here if there was a part of Utah's roster, if we're talking about Utah football now, that you think has been undercovered this season that you might think plays a bigger role in the season this year, what, what do you think that position group might be?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, me personally, I think, you know, the quarterback situation is obviously pretty set with rising. Um, and And that hasn't been the case in a, in a number of years at, at Utah, right. You had a quarterback competition in, uh, I think it was 2018, you know, when Tyler Huntley and, and Troy Williams, and then, you know, Huntley was the guy in 19 and then you had Jake Bentley versus rising in 2020. And then it was rising Charlie Brewer. And these, when there's a quarterback competition, that is like all encompassing that just hangs over everything at least from a media standpoint, like you're trying to cover camp, but like the biggest story of camp is always the quarterback. If there's a quarterback competition that is taking over everything. So I think the quarterback situation here at Utah is is very interesting for a couple of reasons. One, you have this fifth-year guy in in Cam Rising who's in his fourth year in the program. He's the unquestioned starter. We saw what he did last year coming in for Charlie Brewer. You know, he was dealing – in the Rose Bowl, you know, uh, before the concussion. If he doesn't get concussed, who who knows how that game ends. But the fascinating thing at the position here is behind Rising, okay? Is it Jaquindon Jackson? Is it Bryson Barnes? We all know that Bryson Barnes was, uh, you know, was QB two for the Rose Bowl, came in when Rising got hurt, threw the touchdown to Dalton Kincaid, you know, was almost a hero. So what is Utah gonna do behind Rising? Okay, Jaquindon Jackson is I think very clearly Uh, you know, a more, you know, a better athlete, a more, a more mobile player. Uh, He's gotten his throwing mechanics together. Uh, He's, you know, they've built him up to the point where, yeah, he, he, he could be the backup. He, he, he wasn't ready to be that guy, you know, five, five, six, seven months ago, but he might be now. And, you know, the, you know, what's the old um, the old cliche in football, the backup is always one snap away. Well, it's it's very important that Utah figures out who the who the number two guy is, because you never know what could happen in front of you, uh, as we saw during the Rose Bowl when rising went down.
0: Yeah. The quarterback, obviously, that's a huge deal. Um, So you think just the fact that that's stable, you think that's kind of the biggest story? Oh, I don't know if it's the
1: biggest story, but I just didn't want to be cliche and talk about what we've been talking about for, you know, forever. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a lot of questions. I mean, I think that roster is, is, is very talented, um, but there are questions. I mean, uh, you know, the wide receiver situation is, is Devon Valle your number one guy? I mean, he's, he's shown flashes through his time here. You know, he's got the size. He can, he can go over the top of guys, but it, as a number one guy, he, he just hasn't been asked to do it before. Like, is he going to walk into the swamp? on September 3rd and catch eight balls? I don't know, because he's never had to do it before. So um, Devon Vele and Money Parks and other guys, while talented, they're very green. They don't have the experience. They haven't had to do this before. And to that point, you look at other positions. I mean, look at linebacker, right? You can't just replace Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell just given what they've done. Um, You know, Kareni Reed has... Um, again has shown flashes played pretty well last year but then you look at a guy like Lander Barton I mean Lander Barton is an 18 year old freshman you're going to ask him to go into the swamp and, and and play a huge role he's capable he's talented hasn't done it before I think the linebacker room you look on down the depth probably the most talented room on the defensive side of the ball but there's just so much inexperience that I don't quite know like what to make of it yeah like you could plug these guys in week, you know, one, two, three, and, you know, and they could be fine, but I don't know. Cause they haven't done it yet. Um, and then just the other that's been sticking out to me, you know, for the last few months uh, is cornerback. Uh, you know, we all know what Clark Phillips is uh, JT Brockton on the other side is back from a shoulder injury. He missed like the last uh, 10 or 11 games with the shoulder, all pack 12 kid. So it's Phillips and it's Brockton um, and it's Malone Mata L.A inside at the nickel, but then what does your depth look like four, five, six? You know, we saw what happened last year when Fabian Marks and Zamaya Vaughn went down. The coaching staff thought so little of the depth that they wound up having not only Makai Bernard play cornerback in the Rose Bowl, but start at cornerback in the Rose Bowl. So um, that's a key question. Is Fabian Marks healthy, ready for camp? What does your depth look like? And this is just, you know, kind of this all-encompassing overarching point of, I do genuinely think that this roster is very talented and, and is capable of doing something significant this fall. But there are absolutely questions at key positions on the field. I don't think anybody rational can deny that.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's youth. It, it's a good roster, but it's still a pretty young roster. I mean, outside of and even even Rising's young. Like this will be what his yeah Rising technically
1: sophomoreish year he's a, well, he's a eligibility. I mean, look, he's been in college for five years. Okay. He spent a year at Texas. This is his fourth year at, at Utah. He's in, in some sense he's an experienced guy in another sense. He has started, he started the opener in 2020. He started the final 11 games last season. So he's only got 14 starts. It's not a ton of game experience. That's, I've, I've kind of gone away from that, being an issue just because he was so good last year and he is a bit of an older guy, right? Again, fifth year, which means he's 22, 23 years old, but yeah, that's, that probably shouldn't be understated that he's on that he's only started 12 games in his career. That's, that should probably be a factor.
0: Yeah. All right. I want to move to the more fun topics now. Um, The Yankees and more specifically like Yankees beat reporters, like What's up with that? Because the Yankees have won 61 games in mid-July. And I read, you know, my dad has a subscription to the New York Times. So I read it and I read their local coverage of the Yankees. They're just about as negative as it comes on the Yankees. Like constantly. I, I don't I really don't understand. like I understand that beat reporters jobs is to report what's going on with the team and not lean one way or the other but they are a 61 win team and they just the beat reporters just nitpick every like sm- minuscule detail if you read some of the stuff it doesn't feel like they even think they're a pennant contender in the AL like I I just do not understand uh, New York media coverage, but I do enjoy consuming it because everyone seems to, to everyone wants the teams to win, but even when they win, they still kind of hate the team for some reason.
1: Yeah, I mean, you lost me at contending for the pennant. Like nobody cares about contending for the pennant. Nobody. World Series. That's it. And if you're not looking like a World Series contender, like, look, I think, I think Yankees starting pitching is a bit of an issue, a bit of an issue right now. They need to figure something out by the deadline. And those are the types of things that can cost you a World Series. And, yeah, that's the type of thing that, yeah, like New York beat reporters pick on things across all the sports, all of them, Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets, Knicks, Nets, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, all the time. And especially if you're reading uh, the tabloids, if you're reading the post, if you're reading uh, the daily news, personally for my New York sports, I think the post generally does a better job than, than most. I think their Jets coverage is, is, is top notch in the market. I read all of it, but yeah, that's since the beginning of time. I mean, I, I, as a kid in New York, we would get Newsday delivered to the house and then my dad on his way home from work would, would pick up the post and I would consume that too. And I remember from a young age, thinking that the post, and we're talking mid late nineties when the Yankees, write the core four Yankees with Jeter and Mariano and every day it would be nitpicking something like Mariano blew a save. Oh, this is a thing. Like we're going to be writing about it for days. Jeter's in a one for 19 slump. We're going to be writing about this every day. So Yeah. Uh, a slant i don't know if i'd call it a negative slant but it's certainly uh it certainly skews towards the nitpicking end of things trying to find things that are uh that are wrong especially now when the yankees are completely or, or have been completely dominant you know they're up 15 games in the east it's not even like mid-july yet we're not even at the all-star break right and the division race is over so yeah i i think there's something to that trying to find things to nitpick about trying to trying to um trying to find things to write about. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to deny that the uh that some of the New York media, not all of it, but some of the New York media um especially in the tabloids, yeah, I could, I could see why you might think that they're skewing negative. There's probably something to that.
0: Yeah, it was just something I know I I also listen to uh, a podcast with uh I don't know The Ringer does it it's like New York New York. And I I listen to that just cuz, you know, something about just like book that sports market just fascinates me just like to no end. It's just like really interesting because it's just so different from, from here. It's like a a totally different world, the way things get covered and the way people talk about stuff. And so I I am really consumed in that. So I appreciate you letting me ask you (laughs) a a few questions about that. You know, it's, uh, it's just, It's just interesting, and I mean, don't get me, yeah, don't even get me started on Mets fans who think their team is like collapsing while there's like maybe like a four-game losing streak and all hope is lost. So that's just a really, just it's just like a really interesting kind of. It's definitely just a really interesting market to follow. Yes, yes. Speaking of interesting markets, the New York Jets, your team. So much has happened with the Jets over the past uh, offseason. It really does feel like they were one of the more aggressive teams um, this offseason. They had what a lot of experts considered to be a stellar draft, and they did some good stuff in free agency to shore up the offensive line and stuff like that. Where are you at right now on the Jets? Just a, a lot going on with them going into this year. How how big is this year for them to have success? And what, what do you even measure success as at this point?
1: It's hard to measure what success is for this team right now. Like I'm not under the delusion that they can win nine, 10, 11 games. Like the roster is not good enough. I think they've taken like very positive steps forward in free agency. I think on paper, I think they drafted well, but, but like, as I'm, as I'm talking to you, on one screen, like I am looking at the depth chart, like on the other screen, you know, I like George Fant. I like Connor McGovern at center. Um, I think Makai Becton has the capabilities to be really good at tackle, but he's got to get healthy first. You know, we know the issues that, you know, that, that Zach Wilson had last season. Um, I don't love their wide receiver core. I mean, look, Garrett Wilson's a rookie. Corey Davis, to me, is a fine piece, but he's not, like, really moving the needle. And then you're looking defensively, like, I like them defensively. Like, let's assume for a second that Carl Lawson is healthy after missing all of last season. That's huge. Sheldon, that's huge. That's huge if Carl Lawson is healthy and is be, a ferocious
0: People kind of forget what Carl Lawson was before he got hurt, and that was a no guy no. that was, like, in – like borderline all pro conversations, and yeah. definitely a Pro Bowler. So, and, and you know, everybody always likes to say the Jets haven't had a pass rusher since John Abraham, but you know how long ago that was? <laughs> like, oh yeah, that it, it, it's a long ways. And then uh, I, mean, I like yeah. I like Jermaine Johnson. He was a guy that when yeah. I was like watching YouTube clips of guys getting ready for the draft, he's kind of stuck out to me. He seems like a very – he's a long, fast pass rusher that's going to be decent, I think. And then you you have a really good interior, you know, defensive line with Quinn and Williams who's probably, you know, at some point got to be considered for an all-pro. He took him – like he started his career slow, but he was really good last year. And then, yeah, you have Sheldon Rankins who he's like a replacement-level defensive tackle, and that's not bad. And then, I mean, I don't know, Josh, I'm, I'm really high on the defense. Like, yeah, maybe maybe like I shouldn't be, but just the fact that they drafted a cornerback, like who knows if Sauce Gardner, who knows if a rookie corner is going to translate to the NFL. It's it's always a huge question with rookie corners. But if you believe what the draft experts say, Sauce Gardner will lock in their day one and be an average starting cornerback which is something I cannot stress this enough. The Jets have not had in like five years. They have not had an average starting cornerback in five years. Every year when I do division previews and stuff for the blog and this podcast or whatever, and I get my football magazine and I look through the secondary, I always ask myself, oh, who who exactly is playing corner for the New York Jets? Because there's almost no one every single year. And this year, At least you have someone back there. And then, I I mean, I like Lamarcus Joyner as a coverage safety. Um, And if CJ Mosley is healthy, he's arguably the best player on the defense. Um, Big if.
1: Big Big if. if. But look, I like the defense better than the offense. I like the pieces on defense. Let's get Sauce Gardner in there. Let's see what he can do. I like Lamarcus Joyner. I'm with you. I like their interior. I'm with you there. This is where I am. Again, I'm under no delusion that they're a nine-win team. But I think there's enough here where if, if Wilson takes steps forward, again, big if, and if you can get to six wins, seven wins, you go into 2023 with some juice. If you get to seven wins, you go into next season, then it's time to really do something. I think a lot of this falls on on Wilson because the early returns on Zach Wilson last season were not good. He looked very out of place. He looked very unsure of himself. And this, look, this is New York, okay? You're not, the, the leash is not going to be very long, okay? You had year one, you'll get year two, obviously. And if you don't, if he doesn't show some, if he doesn't really show tangible progress, Year three might be it for him. Like, that's what happened to Darnold. I think the Jets, like, broke Sam Darnold. I don't think that they did him any favors with the coaching staff and the pieces around him, but but that's what happened. Year one, year two, year three, you were bad, you're out. That's what this is going to be. Like, if you think you have a roster and you think you have some pieces, if Wilson is clearly not the guy, they're not going to waste five years trying to figure it out. Right. So for Wilson for Wilson specifically this is a very important year to show something.
0: Yeah. I do like the offense more than you I think. I thought now it is concerning. I will say this is the one thing that concerns me is I like Elijah Moore but by far Elijah Moore was the best last year when Joe Flacco was throwing him the football. That that's not good. That was a real red flag to me last year was the fact this guy, and I mean, like you said, you follow the Jets coverage. This guy was a training camp all pro, like the New yep. York media was salivating over yep. Elijah Moore, and he really didn't do anything until Zach Wilson got injured. And that that to me was a red flag because if for some reason Joe Flacco is able to make you a more productive wide receiver than your first round pick, that's not positive in any no. way, shape, or form. And I, I love Zach Wilson because I'm from Utah and I like it when people from Utah do well in the NFL, but like, he does have to, he has to be a top 15 or better quarterback this year, or he won't make it to year three. Like, I, There's just too much. I think there's too much talent around him. I like Garrett Wilson. I don't think the rookie wide receiver thing matters anymore. I think the college game and the NFL game at this point are so similar that you look at the past few years, Justin Jefferson, you know, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, like it does not take time to develop as a wide receiver in the NFL. If you're a great wide receiver in the NFL, you're going to show up day one and you're going to start making plays. And I think we'll know very quickly whether or not Garrett Wilson is a game changing NFL wide receiver because you can see it pretty quickly at this point. And Corey Davis is fine. He's a replacement. He's, He's
1: Fine, that's he's like the a, perfect word for Corey Davis. That's yeah, fine. he's
0: a replacement level wide receiver, he's not anything special, but he, he'll give you if you're a good enough quarterback, you'll get like 700 800 yards and maybe three touchdowns. After. That would be great. Are Which you, would be, are, would be what?
1: <laughs> if you're telling me I'm getting 800 yards from Corey Davis, I'll sign up right now.
0: Yeah, like if and, and that's that's a good testament to we'll be able to tell if Zach how good Zach Wilson is too, because a replacement level NFL quarterback should be able to get Corey Davis about 800 yards. You look at Tennessee Fair. and Ryan Tannehill, who I view as kind of this middle guy in NFL quarterback play, Ryan Tannehill gave Corey Davis about 800 to, I think he actually had a thousand yard season with Corey Davis. That's why he made all his money in free agency, but um yeah, it, it'll just be really interesting. I just, yeah. I like the running back room, too. I like Brees Hall. I like Michael Carter. He was pretty okay last year. I still worry about the offensive line. It just really concerns me that Mekhi Becton is, like, showed up, one, with that shirt, and then if you listen to that full day's press conference, Robert Sala afterwards says something to the effect of, we'll see what he looks like when he's in camp.
1: That's like, not good
0: either. Like, like it's like ugh. he showed up and he came to the media and he was like, "Guys, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to fully commit myself." And the coach almost immediately gave him a vote of no confidence. And that's not good. No. And look, and why? There's really not
1: a lot of reason to be giving him a vote of confidence. Just with the way that his career has started, I, I, I am not, I am not optimistic that Mikay Becton is going to be you know, a high level NFL right tackle. What reason do I have to believe that, that he can be that there's no, well, proof.
0: because he has shown it before uh, he, I mean, he has put up really good NFL game tape. Not, not enough, but not enough. He's been injured right. and out of shape. Yeah, too. Fair enough. Yeah, he's done it, but but just when not he's enough there, he works. He looks like when, a pro Bowl.
1: when he's there. Right. When he's there, right. I'm getting all stressed out now. I'm getting all stressed out talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, didn't, well, I didn't
0: mean to stress you out. I it's apologize. all
1: good. I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. No. Be. You know. I like. I like the Jets. I'm not going to lie. I'm always too high on a team and they're definitely the team this year, but I'm like irrationally overconfident. Like, I really do think they can win 10 games. I just believe in Zach Wilson. Uh, I know that's so stupid and I'm going to be so wrong by like October, but kid, I got (laughs) it. You know, I make the same mistake every year and I'm just going to keep making it. I like being, (laughs) I like, I like being overly optimistic on like, three teams a year and being all right all right you gotta take a shot I think I don't hate it I like the Jets I like Zach Wilson I just you know (sighs) I just want I just want Zach Wilson to be good
1: that's we'll see we'll see not more than me but yeah we'll see (laughs) yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) it's yeah it's just a big year what do you think? Um, I'm sure you have some Giants fans in your life. How are the Giants feeling about where they're at right now, do you think?
1: Oh, Giants fans are maybe the most temperamental fans in the New York market. Um, it's a lot of the Giants fan base tends to skew older. Um, the franchise has been around forever. Definitely skews older than uh, Jets fans. Giants fans are pretty crotchety, even in in good times. Um, the Giants are going to be bad. The Giants are going to be pretty bad. Uh, this is a you know kind of look not as dire as uh, as Zach Wilson, but this is kind of a big year for Daniel Jones. Uh, and Saquon is coming back. Is he healthy? The Giants are the Giants are going to be bad. Um, I, th- I think, I think we know that uh, going in, it, it's not going to be a good season. It's not gonna be a good season for the giants. I'm, I'm having trouble. Like I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm having trouble trying to find like the silver lining. I'm, I'm not sure what it is to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. I'm just interesting to see how it plays out because for the first time and like really since Dave Gettleman has in there now that he's gone like the year he left they actually had a pretty good draft this year they made some they made some solid picks and they started to build up the offensive line which has been terrible for years now and the defensive line which has also been kind of terrible for years now um but i just i hope they have the right people in place and i think they do but I agree with you that it's probably going to be a pretty bad, like long year. I don't, Yeah. I don't know. I kind of thought, I guess, you know, the quarterback class issue was terrible, but you could have probably taken a swing on like Malik Willis in the second round, if you really wanted to, to, to just, because to, <laughs> I, I don't know if Daniel Jones lasts a full year to be, to be honest with you.
1: I mean, I'm like looking up and down the roster. I mean, the offense is like a big wolf. There's just nothing on this offense. See,
0: I disagree. I like I, I like the weapons that they have consistently. Do I you? Know, I know Sterling Shepard never stays healthy, and that's Ugh. a problem. But Kadarius Tony last year when he played looked like a difference changing, difference making NFL wide receiver. And Kenny Galladay has shown at some point in his career that he can play at a Pro Bowl level. So I do think that there are pieces there. I, I, I would disagree with the fact that I think their offense is bad. I think they have pieces at least.
1: Maybe. I'm just, I don't know, on paper, I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. And I'm kind of stuck on the fact that Daniel Jones is just not, does not look like the guy no at all certainly not. at all no so
0: never sure. really has unfortunately that, no. that that's been no. kind of a you know day one yep. issue with you're with not him. wrong um finally to wrap things up here i did watch the sopranos this year i enjoyed it. oh quite that's right
1: <laughs> quite I, I
0: i enjoyed it quite a bit you know i okay. bought hbo max last august Yep. And basically told myself, "All right, I'll keep this for a year so I can watch The Sopranos." Turns out, HBO Max. I'm just gonna free advertising here. It's just the best streaming service. It's awesome. Like, yeah. But by far, like, you probably don't need anything else. Most of what you need's on HBO Max. Uh, I, I think I'm not really a Netflix guy, or, or a, you know, Hulu has too many ads for me, and I'm not sure. gonna, you know, pay for the. No ads version, but you know, my first question is, which is the next great HBO drama I should get into? I tried The Wire, I tried it for like five episodes, and I just cannot get into it. Unfortunately,
1: The Wire is the you, the The Wire is tough because there's a lot there's a lot going on at all times and different storylines. And if you turn your head for a second, you're gonna miss like this one thing that's gonna come back in like three seasons. You gave up
0: after five episodes. Well, one, it's just it's such a gritty show that it's hard to yeah. watch like more than one in a sitting. Basically, that's fair. And that's fair. You know, I have a job and all, so I only what you know. I ran into your problem basically. Like I watched one and then a week later watched another one and I had forgotten what had happened the week yeah, before. Yeah, it's it's a and very,
1: it, it's a very hard show to it's it's a very hard show to to binge. But if you can find like I wouldn't watch it at like a night, like when I'm tired and like can't focus because there's just too much going on. It is like look, I'm not like a big like TV watcher a- anymore. I'm not like a big TV savant, but like that's one of the great shows like ever. You know, if you, if you really want to get into the wire, like my advice would be like, take the time, power through, like watch all five seasons. Then what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to read the the wire oral history by Jonathan Abrams. That's a, it's a tremendous book. So watch it, read the book, then watch it again and you'll get all the things you missed. Okay. If you, So moving beyond the wire, I understand it's a time, it's a time suck, you don't have a a lot of time, people don't have a lot of time. If you wanna get into something on HBO, something lighter, have you seen Entourage? No. Okay, Do, do Entourage, it's light, it's funny, it's stupid. It's like 23 minute episodes, you could knock out three or four in a day, in a night, whatever it's fun. Like I enjoyed Entourage. I've watched Entourage like more times than I can count. You're looking for light, funny, something after a long day when you don't really have to be like locked in and thinking, go with Entourage.
0: Yeah. Entourage. I'll keep that in mind. I think the one for me that, because I do want to pick like, as long as I'm to justify paying a hundred dollars for it, I would like to watch for like one drama a year. One thing I'm kind of leaning towards is uh Deadwood. I kind of, you know, I know it's kind of more niche, but something about I like the Wild West. I'm, you know, I'm from Utah. Okay. Like sure. I like it seems like a lot of swearing, a lot of violence. I'm in. like, like right. we'll do the job.
1: I think that yeah. might never,
0: be the next drama show, but I will check out Entourage yeah. as well.
1: I've never seen I've never seen Deadwood, uh, but people like people say it's it's really good. And as you said, a lot of cursing, a lot of violence. People get on board with that. Another option for you, if you're looking for a drama, uh, is Boardwalk Empire, which okay. uh, talks about um, like the Prohibition era in in the 1920s on the Atlantic City boardwalk, the mob activity. I'm a big like mob guy. I enjoy fiction and documentaries and TV, all all the mob stuff. So um, Boardwalk Empire gives an interesting, uh, an interesting look into uh, 1920s Atlantic City during
0: Prohibition. Boardwalk Empire. That does sound good. You know, yeah, I did. I didn't think I was gonna be a mob guy, to be honest with you. But watching The Sopranos definitely made me a mob guy. <laughs> I, I, I haven't. Yeah. I, that's the other thing. I've got to watch. Like, I've got to watch. I've got to go watch Godfather. You know, I've got to go watch Goodfellas. I got to go watch The Irishman. Probably. I've wait, just you've never go- seen? Wait, you you you've never seen Goodfellas? No, I no
1: you need to get off this podcast and go watch Goodfellas and give me a book report by the weekend. Come okay. on, man. Yeah, I'll, on. I'll,
0: uh, that sounds good. I, I need to go get some <laughs> lunch. I'll probably grab some lunch, come home <laughs> and uh, throw on Goodfellas and then I'll start Entourage tonight. That sounds Love like it. A, a nice way, to, nice Do way it. to end my off day. So I did want to give you a Sopranos theory. Um, Please. Of course, Polly Walnut's Tony Sirocco, I want to say. I don't want Tony to that's the name. Tony Sirocco. Sirocco just yep. passed away. Yes. My theory and my fun theory, and I don't have a lot to back this up, but if Tony Soprano is dead, which okay. I know you don't believe Tony Soprano is dead. I know you think he's in <laughs> Rikers Island uh, serving <laughs> for some murder and conspiracy and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but if Tony Soprano is dead, I think there's a greater than non zero chance that Polly puts the hit out on him. Because right at the end in that last episode, Tony's trying to put the extra responsibility on his plate. I forget what it is exactly. I've only seen the show once, but he's trying to get Polly to step up and take control. And Polly kind of doesn't want to do that because he thinks he might be taking the fall for basically everything that has gone down over the past 10 years at this point i think there's a chance Polly was like not a fan of that kind of saw that phil was still after tony and could hide behind the fact that one of phil's guys got tony if he sent someone out to take down tony soprano so do i think that happened for sure no but i think there's a chance that that happened I'll,
1: I'll have to disagree with that pretty hard just because Paulie's whole, um, his whole thing is like loyalty and Paulie worked under Tony's father, Johnny boy back in the fifties, sixties, seventies. And then he worked under Tony and his whole thing was, was loyalty towards our thing. So, I mean, I'll give you this. I've heard way crazier theories um, than that, but that's, but that's kind of like, like what we're doing right now. That's kind of like the enduring feature of The Sopranos is that the ending was left so open-ended that you can come up with any, any type, anything, any theory. Like, why can't you be right? I disagree, but yeah, okay. Like anything could be possible. That's, that ending was very, very frustrating. Very frustrating that it ended like that.
0: I sent out a tweet, sort of in jest, sort of not, that my favorite Sopranos character was Ralphie. You you hardcore disagree with that. Let me just tell you why I like Ralphie. He's brutal. He's like, I know he's not a good person. I get that. But I love bad guys. I just love bad guys. My favorite Batman character is the Joker. My favorite Star Wars character is Darth Vader. Like, I just root for the bad guys. I yeah. like the bad guys more than anything else. And he's just a tremendous bad guy. Like he, he, yeah. he, he's he got some redeeming qualities, just a few. He acts like he can act human, but he's also this sociopathic killer who's obsessed with Gladiator for some reason. Right. And the fact right. that he's obsessed with Gladiator, I just thought that was so funny. I did quite enjoy Ferraalfi seasons. I think there's a chance he didn't kill the horse personally. I think you know <laughs> I, I think there's a chance that he might have died in vain. Uh, but I guess he got what he was kind yeah of, I mean, he kills the woman in the back of the bang. It's just he got what was coming to him, obviously. yeah, but I do think there's a chance he didn't kill the horse, that's all I'll say. I, just, I think there's a chance. You know,
1: it's funny you bring that up. I mean, after uh, after after Tony Sirico died on fri- Friday, I went down a pretty like deep Sopranos rabbit hole on HBO Max, flipping around to you know favorite Pauly episodes, favorite Pauly scenes, and I landed on the horse episodes, and I'm in the middle of that storyline now. I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna watch a couple more tonight just to finish up that so it's it's funny you bring that up
0: yeah no yeah I just think it was you know quite it was quite interesting but it's hard to not watch the show and not say your favorite character is Tony Soprano because I do just love the character of Tony Soprano he's just like one of the best written characters of all time like hands down no doubt about it Yeah. Like, and he, uh, oh, sorry, go on. No, I, I didn't have much more to say. Oh, I was just going to say it's, you know, he,
1: uh, I remember I read, look, I, again, I read mob stuff. So I've re- read everything. Like playing that character, like took a real like, emotional, him. heavy, heavy toll on on, on James Gandolfini. Um, and he died young. It's a, it, it, it's a shame. He, he, he really died too young. I think he was 53 or 54. Um, just this legendary, legendary television actor. Um, and he was perfect. He, he was perfect in that role. And, um, you know, my, uh, one of my former bosses uh, back East, uh, he, he, he is also a, a, a huge Sopranos fan like myself. And I remember we were talking about it once and he summed it up and I thought this was perfect. The Sopranos is not the greatest television show of all time, but I never loved a show as much as I love The Sopranos. Like that was one thing, like Sunday night for years, man, appointment viewing. I was in college for most of it. But then when I got out of college, that was appointment viewing every Sunday on my parents' Sofa. I'd go over to the house and we'd watch it. I remember, like me, my brother, and my parents, um, you know, watching the finale. You know, it's just it's just one of those things that that you don't forget. And it's a shame what happened to him.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll send you this YouTube documentary I was watching on him. It was quite. I'm sure you've seen it, but it was now send it. Yeah. It 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 was really interesting. I'll have to dig back and uh, and find it. But um, no, I, I I would just like to say. I don't think you directly recommended The Sopranos, but you know, you you were certainly an influence to having me watch The Sopranos. I appreciate. And I'm that. glad I watched. <laughs> it. You know, it was. A, I appreciate that. It it was a it was a fun show to watch, and you know, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So good. That that, that was a good time. Well, before we go, any uh, food recommendations? Anything you've had lately that's been particularly uh, tasty in the Salt Lake kind of Park City region? Oh, I'm trying to think. Um,
1: no. I know you're a really... big beer
0: guy. Any beer recommendations? We have not. I have not ventured out a ton.
1: I am sitting here and I'm going to find the name of this coffee place that we just went to on Saturday morning. We took the baby and we ventured out. If my phone will cooperate. No worries. Uh, it's okay. No, it's, uh, oh, backdoor Deli in Park City. Oh, this, Interesting. this just jogged my memory. Uh, I love, love a good sandwich. Huge sandwich guy. Love delis. I was in Park City last week on a day off. Had the baby with me, chilling out. Stumbled upon Backdoor Deli in Park City. Makes an excellent turkey avocado Swiss sandwich. So if you're, if you're a sandwich person, you like a good sandwich. You're in Park City. Backdoor Deli. Backdoor Deli. Great. Backdoor Deli.
0: I don't know how – I want to just double-check this because this was a fun game we played last year before we go. I want to go over under 8 p.m. tips this year. (laughs) Uh, Not not tips, but kickoffs. Kickoffs. Um, Let me get to Utah on CBS Sports and see how many we have set up right now. I'm sure you know more than me. Yeah,
1: the first three weeks, we know what the first three – Three weeks are we've got a I think we have an 8 30 kickoff against San Diego State, which is brutal.
0: It's eight on p.m. September, 8 it's, PM. A, it's 8 p.m. September 17th. Let me see what else. We got an 8 p.m. in Corvallis in the middle of October. Sneaky trap game, probably. Um you mean Pullman. Pullman. Pullman? Sorry. Pullman. Not Corvallis, yeah. Pullman. Uh, but also sneaky trap games still. Yes. Um so, currently, that's 2, eight p.m. tips. So, let me take <laughs> – not tips. Sorry, kicks. Kickoffs. i Kick-off. I'll always get it mixed up. Saying tips is just so natural. I just call I every. I you
1: said. I, I'm, waiting. I'm waiting. I
0: call everything a tip. When I have these I'm baseball waiting. games, I say, oh, it's an 805 tip. But, <laughs> um, let's see here. Let me give you a number. That one, maybe. That one, maybe. That one, definitely. Okay, so over under five and a half.
1: Over under five and a half kickoffs, 8 p.m. or later. Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. I'm pulling up the schedule right now. Hang on. All right, well, we know we have one. We know we have
0: two. Sorry, I should have adjusted that to – figure in those two so let's say yeah, seven and a half. Oh, seven and a half.
1: uh seven and a half um under i'll you know what i'll even i'll even throw your bone let's call it 7 p.m or later and i'll still say under uh at arizona state in september that's a night kickoff
0: yeah um oregon state i think that's 8 p.m
1: that also feels like a late one um at ucla no that's That early that, that feels might, like
0: an afternoon that might be like five
1: usc is a night kickoff lock that in no doubt um arizona no stanford oregon it's stanford, a good number de- man
0: stanford's definitely an eight i think they it's always gonna be close stanford, but-
1: that's a good that's a good number seven and a half i would probably it's a good number might go under that's just my instinct. Okay. Might go under, but there's definitely, you can look at the schedule right now. And if things break the way we all think it, you know, if they break the way we all think they're going to break, there's going to be a healthy number of, of night kickoffs. Um, tell you this, man, I hope, hoping to God that Colorado in Boulder on November 26 is, is a day kickoff because it's going to be real cold if it's a usually
0: night game. usually it is that's Ugh. just something i've noticed is usually the colorado games a day game interesting yeah well it doesn't really we'll matter see. on where it is it seems like they like to put that at 11 plus that's right after thanksgiving too they like to put more day games plus so. we
1: also plus we also have to consider the fact that you know if utah is you know heading towards the pac-12 championship game or Potentially unbeaten. Who knows Could be
0: if they're ABC unbeaten? Game.
1: You're going to want to put Utah in prime time on whatever network, especially if they're if they're one loss, no loss going into November. You're going to see Utah in in prime time, plenty, no doubt, yeah, for
0: sure. So, uh, any rumblings within? Uh, where where are you at on Utah basketball this year? Any? Are they going to take a step forwards? That just kind of stay where they were last year? Um, any? any I'm I'm generally pessimistic on the program I like Craig Smith I you know I work for Utah State and you know I like him as a coach a lot but you know he doesn't think the roster is very good just based off of what he scheduled this year I think I think he can tell a lot about what a coach thinks about a team by the way they schedule and the fact that there's really no power five teams out of conference is telling to me but where, where are you at kind of right now on how the Utes roster looks?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with the notion that he he is scheduling based on what he thinks he has. Uh, it's a manageable schedule. Obviously, you're playing BYU. They get TCU here at Vivint on the back end of a of a two-year agreement. But that game against TCU looks really different now than it did when they scheduled that series. Like, TCU is looking like a top-15 team to – to open the, to open the season. So I I don't know if that series would have gotten scheduled if, you know, you had any inkling of what TCU, you know, would become, but, you know, I think,
0: um, I think TCU, that is one program you know, I like college basketball, but that might be one thing I missed. You think TCU is going to be a top 15 program this year?
1: Yeah. I think they're going to open like top 15, top 20. Like that's how good they are. Uh, you know, they bring back, um, They bring back Mike miles, who was a all big 12 type of kid last year. So TCU is going to be, they're not going to win the big 12, but they're going to be very good. Um, and, and, and that's going to be a test for sure for Utah. But, you know, I, I look at the roster. I don't know. I think there's, I think there's questions. Um, I think, you know, if you're looking top to bottom pac 12, I mean, I think Utah is still in that nine, 10 sort of range just on paper. Um, But again, like he's scheduled smart, like you're, you know, you have three or four winnable games right at the top before you go to Florida when you're going to play Georgia Tech and then either Mississippi State or Marquette. You know, we're not going to find out what this Utah team is for the first, you know, maybe through the first like three weeks, we're not going to have a great idea. You know, I don't know. Like there's a bunch of X factors, right? Guys left, guys came in. I think Mike Saunders Jr. is a is a plus athlete. I thought that was a good get at the point. Um, as we record this on Monday, I've got something a little on the longer side coming on Ben Carlson, who's a, a Wisconsin transfer. You know, big six nine kid, kind of a stretch four, can step out and shoot it. I think he's a big key. You know, a big piece of the puzzle here coming up. Um, you know, we'll see what the rotation looks like once things get going. The media or some media is going to get a look at a summer workout, uh, later this week, you know, we can at least, at least see what they look like. Um, you know, we're not going to make any sweeping judgments, but at least we're going to get a first look at, at, at what these guys look like. You know, the big thing that sticks out to me about, about Utah, as we sit here in July is that I think the same problem that the roster had last year is, is still here this year. And that's size. Okay, you have Brandon Carlson, Riley Batten transferred, Lahat Shun transferred. Um, again, Carlson is kind of the six nine stretch four can you know can step out and shoot it. Is not your typical bruising type of guy. Uh, two questions here: Can you get anything out of Gavin Baxter, transfer from from BYU? He's only played like 16 games over the last three seasons, dealt with I think back and knee injuries. Uh, and how much can you lean on uh, Kavaceta, who is you know, a physically imposing, defensive-minded, albeit raw, big man from Wasatch Academy who committed in uh, in April. I don't think Cata is ready to shoulder a huge load. I don't think you can put him out there for 25 minutes uh, and be comfortable with it. He's just a little too raw. He's a little too limited offensively. So what do you do? So that kind of leads me back again. I, I think they're really going to have to get something significant out of Ben Carlson or they're going to be in some real trouble up front. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, real trouble up front. Haven't, you know, that seems like what I've heard for the last, <laughs> you know, 10 years. Sorry, well, not 10 years. Definitely not 10 years. Cause at least it was some success in like the mid 2000s. Well, where are you at on Arizona? Do you think they staged good this year? I, I just want to pick your brain on some, uh, uh, cause I kind of think, I like Tommy Lloyd, but I think they'll take a step back, especially losing what they lost in the draft.
1: And they lost a lot, but they also return a ton. They lost a lot, but they do return a ton. If you're asking me who do I think the favorite in the Pac-12 is right now, I think it's still Arizona. Um, UCLA lost a lot. Oregon, Oregon is Oregon, right? Like, Oregon is going to be there. I think Dana Alden is the elite coach in the Pac-12. Um, you know, they went on this run during the winter of like 10 out of 11, you know, they looked like they were going to steal a bid. They faded, they wound up in the, in the NIT, but I still think, I still think Dana Allman is, is really, really good. No matter what he, uh, no matter what he has at his disposal. So yeah, right now sitting here in July. Yeah. I think it's still Arizona. I think it's Arizona's lead to lose.
0: Great. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate of course, you giving man. me about an hour of your time here in Mid-July, hoping that I can uh, get you back on next mid-July when when things slow down a little bit. No op season this year. Very, 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 uh, very crazy, uh, crazy summer. And we're, you know, we're not even at Pac-12 media day yet. And there's uh, still a lot to talk about. So I appreciate you coming on (laughs) during the busy season uh, as it has turned into. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. All right. We will be back later this week with a more in-depth review and preview of the AFC East. We'll talk about the Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, all those teams. Then until then, thank you very much for checking us out. Follow us on Twitter at EndZonePod. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Jensen Sport and at Eric18Utah. And you can find Josh Newman's writing at the Salt Lake Trip. Go subscribe to that great newspaper here in Salt Lake if you're interested in some Western United States coverage, Anyhow, thanks again, Josh. We appreciate you. We will see you all next time. Peace out.